Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So you're standing in this room and you just unlocked the black body bag that's sitting, laying on this table. There's two body bags. You unzip the one on the left and you saw the, you see this cold face that's staring up from the bag, very pale. The mortis has set in. You see that her eyes seem to have almost like a dew that's going on around them because of the frost that's slowly starting to melt. But you see these pale blue eyes that are staring upwards. Her lips are blue and her blonde hair seems to almost be pale. You imagine when you're staring at this that her hair might have been darker at one point, a darker blonde, maybe a honey blonde. But now with her soul gone, her being an empty shell, you just see a pale nest behind her head. If you were to guess between these two, you know, there's an older one and a younger one. You would assume this is the younger one. What are you doing right now, Marco? What's going on in your head? So as I unzip the bag and I just kind of open it enough to where her face and her head is poking out. And then I put a hand over this cold face and um, he's just kind of thinking he, he's very cold around death. He doesn't really think of the tragedy of the, of the loss of a human life. This is more just a business to him. And so he places his hand on the, on the corpse and he just kind of feels the, the coldness coming from it. And then he, are her eyes open? Yes, they're open. Like the bag's unzipped. You have it like unzipped down to like the bottom of her neck where like the beginning of her chest starts. So yes, her eyes are open. He rubs his hand across the face and he kind of uses his fingers to pry the eye open a little bit more. And then he just moves his head down really close to the face of this body. And it's almost like he does it very sharply, very quickly. And he just puts his eye right almost flush alongside the eye of this corpse. It's almost like they're eyeballs are touching but just apart just a little bit and i'm going to try to use my discipline of necromancy to try so, to use insight to use insight and that's the one dot and the sepulchre sepul am i the sepulchre path sepulchre i think sepulchre yeah. path so you have to climb up on the table to get that like eye to eye with her so you like go up onto the this thick table and your knees kind of straddle her you can feel your chest against the you can hear the black leather the excuse me the black plastic bag underneath like crinkle under from your chest being on top of her chest and when you take your 
hand in your fingers and you pry it open, you could feel like almost like a resistance because it's still kind of frozen to her eyelid a little bit. And then eventually you kind of feel like tug off and her eyeball is open. So for necromancy, and I'm looking up the system here real quick. Uh, I'm trying to see, let's see what you have to do here to roll. It looks like, um, okay, so to do this, the power requires a roll of perception plus a cult. Difficulty eight for formal, formerly living creatures, 10 for unliving ones such as vampires. So it's difficulty eight. As a vampire stares into the target eyes, the number of successes determine the clarity of the vision. So go ahead and roll it. Again, you can spend willpower if you want to. Just a reminder, it's on you. Uh, three successes. All right. So with three successes, you get a clear image with the sound of the minutes preceding the death. Okay. So when you tug her eye open with your finger even more, and you go nose to nose with her, and you stare into those pale blue eyes, but you focus on the darkness in those eyes that are somewhat dilated at this moment. And you find yourself being pulled in. Everything fades off, fades away. And that darkness seems to zoom in on you. And there's this disheartening moment, this moment of fear that always crosses over you at this time. Because you realize while you are staring at the darkness there, that you are leaving what you know, and you feel the sense of uncontrollable release that has to happen. And right when that fear could easily turn to panic, all of a sudden you're confused. And there's always confusion at this time because you don't know where you are at first. You don't realize you're seeing stuff from a different perspective. And there's a moment when that confusion hits you that you feel yourself breathing and you realize that you are in her memory now. You're in her vision the feeling of breath is something that you haven't felt. Natural breath not being forced. And you realize that you're staring ahead. And you see that there are four figures standing. You must be on your knees because you seem to be looking up at them. You feel that the cold, the concrete is cold underneath your knees. And you see that you are indeed on concrete. And you look around. It looks like you're almost in a warehouse of some sort. And these four figures are standing about five feet in front of you. You see one has dress, blue dress slacks on, but they look slightly wrinkled. And he has a tucked in white dress shirt, but the sleeves are rolled up. And he has his arms crossed. And he's kind of looking down at you like smugly. He has this weird grin on his face. And he has dark hair that's kind of curly a little bit and thick. It's like a dark auburn almost. And you see that he is pale. You see that his cheeks look gone. You see next to him, there's a man in a suit who has intense eyes that's looking down at you, a Caucasian. His hair is slicked back. And then in front of you, there's this woman. She looks to be Mediterranean almost. You see that she's wearing like this red, like casual dress. And she looks concerned. And then there's this Asian man who's wearing jeans and a black leather jacket. And he has engineer boots on underneath the jeans. His head is shaved. And he looks indifferent at you. And the figure, the first figure who was smirking at you is like... So tell us what you know. Tell us what you know. What What's the deal? What What's this big secret you keep hinting at? And you hear this voice coming from you. And she just is screaming at them like, you don't even know. You don't even know this man that you serve what he's like. And you see the guy in the suit looks at her. He's like, you stupid bitch. Quit fucking talking in riddles and just tell us. What do you know? And there's a moment where you're about to say something to him. And you look behind those four. And you see that there's a figure about 10 feet behind them. She has dark hair that's somewhat longer that goes down her back and she has palish skin. And she seems to be almost wearing like a, looks like a 
a peacoat of sorts, but you can't quite make sure. But you realize how you feel when you see her, that you feel rejoiced. You feel like almost like a sense of, of that you may be freed here. And then there's a moment where you catch eyes with her and you start feeling that you can't breathe. And you all of a sudden start hearing this buzzing in your ears, almost like the sound of insects as you lose your control of yourself and you fall over. Then you snap back and your head and your body sits up as in shock, as if you're coming back into your own. How are you processing all this? What are you going to do? Uh, I was going to ask you the same thing. Like, I, I would definitely think I've done this before. I've looked into... Yeah, you've done this before. I, I've viewed a scene from somebody's eyes. I, I've, I've gone into that perspective. But that feeling of losing my power, seeing that figure, feeling that initial relief at first, and then just suddenly being overwhelmed by that feeling, it would definitely be jarring to him. It's He understands that the nature of the Sudario is very unstable and there's all kinds of, it's not, it's not like this side at all. So, you know, there's things about it. He couldn't even begin to understand and he probably chalks it up to that, Mm. but it's definitely something that's extremely unsettling to him, even given what he's currently doing. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things that you can take apart from it. You could definitely take apart that someone had her kidnapped in a way or tied up and was trying to get information from her. They're getting frustrated because they weren't getting the information. I would almost say, too, uh, I'll have you give me a perception and a cult role, please. Difficulty six. Uh, five successes. Holy cow. So you playing this back. I mean, you still haven't even like gotten off the table. Like This is all like thoughts that are rushing in your head right now. Can I say um, I lay down in, on the table in between them, actually, and yeah. I'm just kind of like I have this like blank stare up at the ceiling as these thoughts just race through my head. Yeah, like you roll over kind of in shock and you're just like, yeah. So you roll over and you kind of just like realize you're, you're, you're laying in between these two bags. You can almost like feel you're almost like kind of on top of them a little bit, like the, the middle of your back and your butt like hits the table, but you're still kind of like propped on them a little bit. And you start looking at the ceiling and you see the white textured of the ceiling, you know, that texture that they have in apartments. And as you're staring at that and these thoughts are going through your head, you realize that that man who was initially smirking at her, you could tell by the hollow of his cheeks, by the intensity of his glare and the paleness of his skin, that he was probably a kindred, a canite. He was definitely a vampire. And then when you start processing that, you think about the woman who they didn't notice, who was sitting or standing in the back. And you could think of now you're thinking about it and you're kind of processing like, oh, she was definitely one too. And you know, though, also that she, something that she initiated caused that woman to die. You don't know what it is. And that's almost like what's kind of shocking. You naturally have, I would almost assume, does Marco usually react this way when he comes back from the spirit world? Or is this kind of like unique how he's rolling over and it's like these thoughts are going through his head? So I would say it's, it's uh it's not really unique. Like he'll usually kind of try to do a few things at once. So he'll maybe start off with looking into the eye of somebody and then he'll maybe he does like weird things to just get closer to the 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 subject of the ritual. So he will like lay down next to like a corpse or just like you know, like just put himself like near it and just kind of like meditate on it and stuff like that. Like he'll he'll kind of like do things that probably 
the person that asked him to do this would be very disgusted to know that that he he's doing but it's kind of just like part of the process and he's just like you know people don't need to know how the sausage is made it's just better they just don't know about that part of it because he has to defile the subject to really get the results that he wants and that's kind of like why he takes like a cold approach to it so they're literally just objects to him and um he just kind of like nestles in between them like while he's just like looking up at the ceiling just thinking right now he does it is uncommon for him to just be like this taken aback by like what he's seen he usually is able to kind of like make sense out of his his readings through that practice but this is just something that's kind of seems more alien to him and seems more dangerous and kind of like overwhelming and alien. I mean, we can even go back to like the first time that you did this when you were with Rita on Venice and she had like snuck you in this mortuary at night, paid people off for, for you to learn. And you kind of, you, what you at that time did was you had used these same skills and on a college student who had been in a moped accident who had been hit by a delivery truck on a moped. And when you did that, you were able to feel like the pain that he felt when he was hit and he was still alive for a little bit. You could feel at that time, like the sound of the ambulances that you heard or the people that were standing around you, looking down at you and talking, trying to see if you're okay or seeing if they should touch you or not. You could feel the wetness behind your head, knowing that like you had probably smashed your head in and you felt peace. That felt natural. And throughout these other times that you have done this, it's felt like what you would, had came across, no matter if it be murder or heart attack or accident, those all felt natural. This doesn't feel natural. This feels confusing. Because if you're asked, if you're to be asked what happened to her, something that you could always have explained before, you can't explain that now. How does that make you feel? It really makes me feel at a loss. I thought this was going to be kind of my saving grace for what just happened. Uh, figuring this out was going to be my kind of safe card to get in the good graces again if something, if this were to turn sour. And now I'm basically figuring out I have nothing to, t I have nothing to tell him. I have nothing to go back with. One of our kind potentially killed them with, with something, but I, I don't, it's, I'll seem like a fraud if I try to explain this to him. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of in a in a conundrum now because of what just happened to Roman like an hour ago, and you were hoping this would be your out. Does he feel a sense of panic that his first attempt using this one skill on this one body didn't get the results that he want? Like, what's going on in his head? Is he like now in a panic, like he's going to try again with the other one, or is he doesn't want to do it anymore? Or, I mean, you got two hours till daylight comes up too, so it's like all this like <laughs> device is like just closing in a little bit, all this pressure. I think I need to try one more thing because after tonight, Jamie is going to need to move this stuff. Uh, we can't keep it in here too long or else we'll draw some suspicion. So I need to try everything I can and either we're either going to get rid of them or we're going to move them someplace, but they can't stay in the apartment building forever. That's for sure. Uh, but I do just want to try one more thing. Mm -hmm. What's that? So as he's laying in between them, he's kind of like pulling himself closer to this younger corpse, the one that he just, the one that he just used that practice on. And he's going to try to attempt, sorry, one second. Um, out of character, really quick. I know the names of these both, uh, both these women, right? Out of character, you do not. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. I will. Hold on. Hold on. Then. Like, hold. Because he just had two bodies he needed you to look into, you know? Did he give you, did he give you the names? He might not have. He really might not have. And like, it's, I'm from out of town. I don't know this guy from. from yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it says, if I don't know the name of the subject in question, an image obtained through psychometry would suffice. Now, given that I've kind of seen through her eyes, would that qualify? Yeah, yeah that would uh, Basically, qualify. what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to use the second dot of the sepulcher path, summon soul, and I want to see if I can just like pull from the beyond and see if I can just reach out for her in some way. All right. And then it says here, an object with which the wraith has some contact in life must be in the vicinity. If the object is some of great importance of to the ghost, the chance for success in summoning is dramatically increased. So I don't have like a belonging of her. But you but have her mom next to her. Yeah. So like, I think yeah. what I'm going to do is like, it's actually kind of creepy. Like I'm going to take my arm and I'm going to slide it underneath the mother and I'm going to pull the mother close to me. And then I like turn my head and I begin to whisper into the ear of the of the younger corpse. So are you taking the mother out of the bag? Or are you just kind of keeping her in the bag and just kind of like she's still in the bag? She's okay. just held close to me, almost like a a person hugging a pillow. Okay. And he and just kind of it's almost like this weird kind of like headlock. <laughs> and he just kind of like um rolls over and he's just like so the the one bag is still shut. Yeah. The bag with the younger woman, it's still open to where her head is basically exposed. Yeah. And he just like puts his mouth close to her ear. And that's how he's going to begin to try to ask questions or try to uh, call out for her, I guess, so to speak. All right. That sounds good. So let's, it looks like that to you, summon soul, the vampire player must roll perception plus occult difficulty seven or the ghost willpower if the storyteller knows it. We'll say difficulty five. Okay, three successes. Okay, so you put your arm under this black body bag and you hear it crinkling and you kind of like lift it a little bit so you can almost like cuddle it like a blanket, like it's special to you. And then you put your turn and you put your lips towards her ears. And what do you start to whisper in her ear? I just kind of whisper, are you out there? And there's a moment where you hear back from that ear And then you feel something watching you and you look like you're laying and you look away from the ear and you kind of lift your head up a little bit and you see his figure standing at the end of the table by your feet and she's standing there and she's naked and she's staring at you with these eyes that don't open, that don't close, that are all black. Everything looks gray on her or blue. You see her pubic line and you see her breasts, but they look, they look defeated they look as if every essence that was in her cell has left her body. But yet she still looks familiar and looks like a person, as you know. But she's just staring down at you as you're there with her corpse and her mother's corpse. Marco just kind of freezes for a second and he begins to sit up and he's kind of letting these two bags just kind of slump to the side. They're still on the table, but they just kind of like the mother's bag just kind of slams down on the table just kind of carelessly and he he props up to a sitting position 
And then he's like slowly moving forward and he gets himself off of the table and he, he takes a knee before her and he's just looking up at her and he's just, this presence is just looking down at him. And even though he's experienced this type of thing, it's still very almost intimidating to him and frightening to him, but he just looks up at her and it's almost like his voice is just too choked to speak. And he's just like, almost almost reaching up to touch her hand, but he doesn't touch anything. His hand just kind of moves up to kind of motion for her. And he's just like, tell me what happened. You have learned through your time with talking the spirits, which is a difficult task to do, that there's a form of communication that isn't like normal language that you know how to speak, that they don't speak in language, that they don't speak in syllables and words. They speak through sounds, touch, imaging. Even like feelings, I'd imagine, too. Feelings, yeah. Maybe just like, he's not even asking for like a a vocal response. Like maybe if she could just make him feel something that would give him some clarity. Well, it's almost like also, though, what I was about to say is like, you've learned how to interpret this dance that the spirits do. So there's a moment where your hand is up like reaching towards her and she grabs her hand, your hand, and she puts it down between her legs and she like cups your hand there with hers. And she's just staring down at you and you can feel like you can feel it pulsating a little bit and you see her eyes narrow down looking at you and her mouth opens and you just hear this screeching pain that's coming through her mouth out towards you and through this pain and this scream, that's almost inhuman. You're able to piece together in her head how she, a lover, one that she cared for, one who mentored her, m- had her killed. And she's as your hand is over her crotch and her hand is over yours, she's just this pain like of loss. Not a, not, a, not a scream of pain, of like physical harm, but a scream that you hear women who lose their children let loose, a howl of pain of a soul that's damaged and will no longer heal. And you know when you hear that, that this will never go away, this feeling of hers. And then it stops. She stops screaming and she removes your hand, but she still holds on to it though. As you're kneeling down, she looks down at you. Now you can ask for more details or whatever, you know what I mean? But like Marco is actually going to separate from this. He's going to stand up and almost as if the, well, regardless if this presence is still in the room or not, he's going to begin respectfully zipping the bags back up. And he's almost like, it's like he's trying to ignore it, but he can like still feel it just like watching him. And it makes him just feel incredibly tense. Just, he feels like, like crying or shouting. He's, he's running so close to empty at this point as well. And he's losing daylight. Yeah. He's he's losing nighttime, I meant to say. Daylight is approaching and he he can't keep these tools in his apartment any longer without drawing suspicion and he's like, "Well, there's a thing. When you try to pull your hand away, she doesn't let it go. And you feel that tug a little bit as you turn it and it doesn't let go." And I just feel this total helplessness and I'm almost like crying because I'm like in its mercy, you know, like my face is like tensed up in this like grimace 
of just like, uh, like I'm about to just break out in tears or something. It's just like this tightened face. And it's almost like his face is just saying, please let me go. But he's just scared. He, he just, he felt this surge of emotion, this transfer of feeling kind of just like course through him. And it was like very powerful for him. And uh, now he's like glued to this and it's like too much for him to handle and he wants to get away, but he can't. And she turned, you feel her hand, like turn your head to face her. And she puts her side of her face or side of her hand on your side of your face with the thumb underneath the jaw. And she's pushing you back towards the table. I'm like almost muttering out loud. I'm like, no, please, please don't, please don't. And she slowly keeps pushing you back until you feel like the middle of your thighs are on the edge of it. And you kind of like are forced to like, kind of like sit up on it if you want to keep going back and you could feel she's pushing you down that way. And he's just going where he's pushed. He's almost too helpless to resist against it, but he's kind of silently begging. He's like muttering for it to just stop. And as you're pushed back and muttering, she straddles you at this point and she pushes your chest down and you see she's looking down at you. And there's a moment where you see that her chest seems to slowly be almost like a wave is on her chest and her mouth opens and you can hear this buzzing sound coming from her mouth. And out of the corner of your eye, you see along the wall, your mother standing there looking at you sadly. What are you doing? I'm just kind of laying down with this terrored look on my face and I'm watching this happen and I'm kind of looking back between her and then looking back at the effigy of my mom And I almost want to speak to the figure of my mother, but I'm just looking at her, her shame of me. And I I feel as though I cannot speak. I'm just, you know, I'm watching her kind of look at me with this like disapproving look. And I feel as though I failed her. And I also feel as though I'm falling into this horror that is happening in front of me right now. Like I'm about to be devoured by the other side for my for my meddling and i just feel so helpless right now give me a what's in a call please difficulty seven no successes so when this chest starts rolling and you see that it almost seems to go up her neck and you see the neck is starting to swell and you could see like almost where it was pale and gray before like this black corruption is slowly like seems to be spreading almost like an ink drop that hits a white piece of paper and it kind of slowly like spreads out and you see it slowly spreading up her neck and there's a moment where you feel maybe i can get off of this maybe i can get off of this and you move your hands for a second like like you try to move your hand and you can't her grip is on there there's a moment where you felt like you had a little chance of maybe you could resist and you see your mom's looking concerned now you look and you see your mom's look and she looks concerned at this moment but she doesn't like like give me a perception in a cult right now uh, seven for difficulty? Yes, please. Six successes. Holy cow. Okay. So you're, you could tell right away from what your mom is looking at you like. She just is waiting for you to tell her to, to do something. Like she's standing there and she knows she can't act. You know, like there's this weird, like something holding her back at this moment. But you can tell like she's wants to act, but she can't. And you realize when you're looking at her that, of course, I got to. I have to tell her, you know, if I, you know what I mean? Like she can maybe get me out of the situation here. It's like, I almost feel like a, a kid 
and I, I want to be independent, but I just, at this point, I'm just so helpless right now. And I see my mom and when I see her, I just scream, mom. At that moment, you see all of a sudden, like you, you see, like she's not there and you're wondering what's going on. And then all of a sudden you just see this, like, it's so quick that you can't even like fathom. You're trying to wrap your head around it where you're pinned down and all of a sudden you're not. And you just feel like this weird static energy in the room. And you sit up from the table and you look around and the, and the room's empty right now. But you look all towards the wall, the far corner, and you see that there's these flies that are climbing up the wall. They're covered in the corner and they're like making their way up into the corner of the ceiling. And it looks like there's hundreds of them. And you see it's almost like they're disappearing into the shadows in the corner as you hear this buzzing slowly fade off. And you're left there with these two corpses. Chronicles of Darkness Ultimate Evil is a game set in 1987 in Bismarck, North Dakota, and deals with themes such as the satanic panic, but also childhood and the loss of innocence. I feel that's where Adam and I grew the chemistry that you probably hear now in Vampire the Masquerade Eidolon. Give it a try. <laughs>